This morning in uh, Acts 19, uh, we'll start in verse number 8, and we've been talking about aspects that we are striving together as a church in. And last week we talked about the home and the family, and uh, uh, this morning we're going to talk about striving for revival. You know, revival is one of those things, we, I did a few messages on it uh, a couple months ago, but revival is one of those things we kind of talk about, and it's somewhat ambiguous. It's kind of, um, you know, we, we maybe will have, I'm going to get a, a dynamite speaker to come in, and he's going to stir up the church, and uh, sometimes we equate that to revival. And, uh, but really, how many of you would agree, as a church, as a nation, as church, churches across the nation, we really need a genuine heaven-sent revival. We need something stirred in us, a hunger for God, a hunger for the things of God, uh, just that renewal that uh, I like how David described it in his Psalm of Repentance. I think he experienced a revival. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Tell you what, when you're on fire about your own personal salvation, uh, you're going you're gonna to draw near to God. You're going to want to tell others about your experience. And, uh, and there's an excitement there. And so I think as a, as a church, we ought to have that heart for just revival in our homes, revival in our personal devotional life, revival in prayer, revival in all these areas uh, that's really about me and God. And it's about God and us. I'll tell you what, we have revived families, we'll have a revived church. We have revived individuals, we have, we'll have a revived church. And so uh, we're going to look at just an example of one such revival in Acts 19. Look at verse number 8. It says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when, uh, div uh, when diverse uh, were hardened and uh, believed not, but spake evil of that, uh, of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one uh, Tyrannus. And, uh, and this continued by a space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't that interesting? All, it says, all they, or, or, um, all they which dwelt in Asia. That's a pretty, uh, pretty bold statement there. Verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body they were uh, brought, un, uh, uh, excuse me, they were brought into the sick uh, uh, handkerchiefs or, or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirit went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Pre preaches. And uh, there were seven sons of one uh, uh, Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the Pharisees, who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on him and overcame them uh, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and the fear of, all of, uh, of, uh, of them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And they that believed, came, and confessed, and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which uh, used curious arts, brought their books together and, and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together and these that have come out this morning. 
And uh, Lord, I pray as we look to your word, we would see this, uh, this event in history and, and consider the impact that, uh, that uh, the word of God could have in our lives. And Lord, I pray that there would be a genuine hunger in each of us to draw closer to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What an, uh, what an interesting account. And we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit. And, uh, uh, but, you know, what, what is the cure for all these issues we're seeing in the world today? All these things, you know, in our, uh, we see division almost everywhere we look, you know, in our, within our country, uh, that we have the, this election stuff going on. I'm, I don't know about you, I'm getting kind of tired of all this, <laughs> right? Uh, you have, uh, uh, you have uh, just unreasonableness all over the place with leadership making decisions and all kinds of craziness. But do we come back to this? What really is the root of all of it? What's the, re- the cure, the answer? And really it all comes back to, uh, to, to, to this. Even as, as Christians, we've fallen short with our own personal zeal and hunger for God. And what happens? It impacts our society. It does trickle out. You know, there's an amazing thing, the uniqueness of America, in that we, we, were, a Christ, or we were a nation built on zealous Christians. Christians of conviction, Christians of character. And, and what happened? It permeated in the society. Yes, we've had, we've had times where, where evil did prevail, and, uh, you know, which, which uh, really was the predecessor for two of the great awakenings in America. But, uh, but when we look at this, and the answer and the cure is always the same. It's always coming back to the scriptures, and it's always coming back to, to Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, the grace of God. And, uh, but, you know, the reality is God, uh, God wants us as believers to experience the abundant Christian life. By the way, let's make sure those, both of those words are together. We talk a lot about the abundant life, right? The, the name it and claim it. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, right? And... Uh, but, but, uh, but it's the abundant Christian life. You see, holiness, then happiness. And, uh, and so in John 10, verse 10, the thief cometh not but to kill, uh, steal, kill, and to destroy. I am come, Jesus, that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. And the context there are those, his sheep, the ones that are following him. And, uh, and so, so that abundant life, of course, is found in Christ. That abundant life is that close walk, that desire uh, for the things of God, and, and kind of coming back to that point. But too often we find ourselves overcome by circumstances, plagued with doubt, uh, uh, weak in the, in the face of temptation, and, and all these things that kind of just pull us away. And so what, what we really need is just from time to time just a revival. Genuine revival, you know. We're coming to the end of the year. Can you believe it? 2020 is actually going to come to an end. I'm on a, um, I'm on a Facebook group with other pastors, and sometimes they'll bounce things off each other, and it's, it's a closed group, so it's not like just everyone can see what's going on. But sometimes, sometimes there's some things, hey, I'm dealing with this difficult matter. You know, what are your guys' thoughts? Or, but anyways, one of the things that popped up, well, what are your guys' ideas for themes next year? Some, a lot of churches have like an annual theme. And, uh, and one guy put together a little graphic, and it, and it said 2021. It said, let's try this again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think 2020, 2020 is a good year to say, you know what, let's, let's start over. Let's try again, you know. And uh, it, did, it definitely didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of times during that new year, we think of New Year's resolutions. We think of different things. What are we really saying? We're saying there's an aspect of my life. I just kind of need some revival. I just kind of need to stir it up again. I need to kind of get on track and and um 
You know, we need that from time to time. The psalmist cried out, Wilt thou not revive us again? Why? That thy people may rejoice. There's a rejoicing when we are revived. There's a rejoicing when there's a spiritual uh, awakening in our lives. But, uh, you know, some, some questions. How do we experience revival today? You know, we know how to schedule a revival meeting. We know how to, you know, put something on the calendar. But, you know, th those aren't, that's not revival. Revival is from God, and really it's our response to God. Revival, I believe, is for God's people. The English word revive is really it means to be made alive again, to be brought back to life. And, uh, you know, and I think sometimes when we kind of just assess things, what is the state of Christianity today? Where are we at today? And, uh, and <clears throat> of course, you can't really answer for every individual, but I think, I think the consensus really across the board is we're kind of sleeping. We're kind of just, there's no urgency. There's no, you see, uh, Paul challenged the church at Corinth. He said, there are some that have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He said that to the church there. And there was this complacency that had crept in. And, and uh, we need revival from time to time. And so I just want to look at some things here. Now, now of course, this was, uh, this was the time of the apostles. And there's going to be some things that are, that are different. But it's really quite interesting to kind of just look through this passage. But uh, the first thing I want to point out is revival occurs when the truth of God is preached. Verse number 8. And he went to the synagogue and spake boldly. For the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil uh, of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised, by the way, that preaching God's truth is the center of genuine revival. Think about it preaching of God's truth is the center of salvation. They please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. Preaching what? Preaching the word. We understand salvation is found in the word. We, 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 we don't know salvation. We don't understand the specific revelation of God apart from the revelation of God. You see, we can look into nature and just like any society across the globe, we can see, well, there's ample evidence that there is something divine out there. But beyond that, we don't know God apart from his revelation, apart from his word. So what do we do? We preach the word, you see. Someone may have an experience, but if you don't have the word in there, you, you don't have salvation. Because that's what it's based upon. You see, by the way, my security in my salvation is based on God's word, and then adding to that the fact from God's word, that he'll never change his mind, that he's not going to lie, that he's not going to go back on it, that it's forever settled in heaven, amen. You see? And so, so it comes back to God's word. Uh, uh, if we were to go back to Acts 17, verse 2, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, this was his custom, this was his habit, went in unto them, and three, uh, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. You know, some people... Um, some people are dead set that worshiping God is supposed to be done on Saturday, right? Sabbath. And they'll say, that's what, you know, Paul, every, he would go Sabbath days into the synagogues. He'd go, and I, th I, would, I, would, <laughs> I would always remark to that, that's because he was preaching to the Jews in the synagogue. You go to a, a synagogue on Sunday, there'll be no one there. <laughs> you see? Um, 
but, uh, but uh, you know, th- that wasn't church. He was actually going in. And by the way, think about the boldness of Paul here. Think about the boldness of these, these disciples. It would be like us going into the Catholic Church to proclaim the gospel and to expose the error. He's going into a synagogue of Jews who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ And he's reasoning with them from the Old Testament scriptures, trying to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, I think he was uniquely positioned for that because he was a trained Pharisee, you see. And uh, so I guess if we're to put uh, a complete my illustration, suppose someone grew up studying for the priesthood, had all the credentials, but got saved. He may use that. Right to go into those Catholic churches and preach the gospel to them. I don't know how far he'll get before he's excommunicated, but <laughs> you see, that's, that's pretty bold to go in. You know, you think of the boldness of Peter, this same Jesus whom you crucified. Whoa! Talk about very pointed preaching, you see. But, uh, but he'd, he'd come in, and as his manner was, he'd go city to city, and he would start in the synagogues. Why? Because he was a Jew, and his heart's desire for, for Israel. Though he would become apostle to the Gentiles, his heart was for Israel still. These were his people, his brethren according to the flesh. And so he'd go in there and he'd reason with them. Um, so he, he, and, and what's interesting is he used that word reason. He gave a message from reason. He'd go to start with the scriptures and he'd reason with the people. The fact that Paul was disputing and persuading, by the way, does not mean he was arguing with them. For some people that take it that way, that could be their life verse, right? God has called me to, to dispute and persuade. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, but no, you know, you don't find that kind of, cont- in fact, that kind of contention is actually, is actually pushed down uh, in Scripture. Uh, but we reason, and, uh, and we come to the Scriptures. We use apologetics, the word that's translated reason. Um, uh, what, what is that? We're giving proof for what it says. You see, and so, so we're comparing things, and we're trying to bring people along to a conclusion. Even Jesus, with those discouraged disciples on the road, when he showed up with them in his resurrected body, he hid himself from them, so they didn't know he was Jesus. But what did he say? He showed himself to them on the pages of the Old Testament. And he, what did he do? He reasoned with them and said, no, this is what was going to happen. This was what was supposed to happen. And their response was, man, didn't our hearts just burn within us when this man reasoned with us, when he spoke with us? You see, and so uh, uh, that, that's where Paul started. He began with the word as he reasoned from there. We have a great example of boldness. Uh, boldness, by the way, is a great mark of the first century Christian. I, I think it's because their faith was so fresh and so real to them. You know, boldness starts to die when the excitement goes away. It's not as fresh. It's not as real. It's not as uh, authentic, really, even in my own life. And, Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. What did the filling of the Holy Ghost do to them? They spake the word of God with boldness. It was, a, it was like a fire lit, and that's like this, the, almost the same language that was used for Jeremiah. It was like a fire within my bones. I couldn't contain it anymore. I had to let it out. And uh, that's what took place in his life. We have an example of not only boldness, but of preparedness. This, uh, this confused world and all the noise of, of pluralism and, and, uh, you know, uh, does not need our, our, our cliches, our parroted responses. What it needs is to get back to the Word of God and, and, and back to 
to, to, to preparing our own hearts as we carry this message. We, are, uh, we carry this treasure in earthen vessels, and, and we prepare it. I like what one preacher said. He said, this world does not need another definition of Christianity. It needs a new, uh, not a new de- definition of Christianity. It needs a new display of Christianity. We just need to get back to the Bible. We just need to get back. We're always trying to come up with a new way. You know, uh, what is the latest thing? You know, we're reinventing church. I'm sorry, something that God started does not need reinventing. All right, now, if his man started, sure, I'll have at it. But if it's something that God did, you don't need to reinvent it. You just need to follow the blueprint. <laughs> you need to follow what he has laid out. And, uh, and so, so even as, as Christians, as in Christianity, we need to kind of just get back to what is biblical Christianity? We don't need a new definition. We need a new demonstration. We need to actually display it. We need to actually live it. I've said before, you know, what's the number one excuse why people uh, uh, refuse to even visit a church or check things out or, or whatever? What's the number one excuse? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Well, they don't believe it. They don't live it. What did you say? Did you say something different? The roof is going to fall in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, and a person like that, though they may be joking, that might be an assessment of where they're at. They might be ready for the gospel, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's, that's funny. First Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And by the way, I do believe there's an order there. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. How is the Lord God in your heart right? Do you have a lofty view of God? Do you have a sanctified, uh, is, he, is he at that place in your heart? You see, some people uh, become theologians without that first step of sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. And then they're studying to have a reason. And they're just setting themselves up for debate and for, you know, all the, hold on, let's make sure we're, we have the right view of God first. Let's make sure that, that, that our hearts are there first, that he has our heart. Let's sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, then be ready always to give a man uh, excuse me, to answer every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. That's how then I go about it. How do I share it? Well, meekness, right? By the way, pride is just repulsive. Uh, um, people don't like to listen to it when you come across just proud and arrogant. So, so there's a meekness to it. But then there's a fear to it. If we understand the grave responsibility we have, boy, there, there's, there's a fear that I'm to handle this right. There's a fear that, uh, you know, and, and, and keeping in mind it's not all on you. We are co-laborers together with God. But there is, a, uh, uh, there is a, a weightiness to this calling that God has given every one of us as we're ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that not only was this a, a message of reason, but... But uh, there's a, we see this uh, uh, kind of a hardened response from the people. Not everybody heard the message. There in verse number 9, it says, uh, uh, the, uh, when diverse, uh, the diversity of people was hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. What way? The way of salvation. They spoke evil about it before all the people. And, and uh, so as he was there for three months, at some point, the, 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 those who were hard got harder and harder and harder and finally started standing up and started speaking evil about this, this Paul and, uh, and the way that he was speaking. And, and uh, you know, we ought not to get discouraged. You know, not everybody believed Jesus, the master teacher, right? And, uh, 
you know, uh, at one point he had multitudes, right? Uh, he fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. That's a lot of people. And uh, the next day they came back and they said, do that miracle again. That was really cool. And he shares with them uh, the illustration. And he says, I, I'm the bread of life. And, uh, and, uh, and they're like, man, this is, this is a hard thing to, to hear. It's a hard thing to follow. And, and in, in John 6, verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What a powerful statement. This is Jesus, by the way. And uh, so recognize something. Now, there are going to be people that are going to be hardened. There are going to be people that are going to, they're going to push away and, not, and resist. But we've got to recognize, realize something. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. I'm just an ambassador. You see? But Paul had to deal with the same thing. There were those that opposed him. By the way, everywhere Paul went, people opposed him. The devil hates when God's working. The, I'm going to say that again. The devil hates when God's working. Right? Uh, Mark, mark it down. When you have some victories, get ready, because there are going to be some things that try to stir that up, that try to mess that up. Uh, the devil's not happy when God's work is going forward, when, when, uh, when people are being saved or God's own people are being revived. He doesn't like it. messes it up. But this is amazing. In verse number 10, they continued by the space of two years. So that they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That is amazing. Two years. In another place, uh, when Paul was talking about his time in Ephesus, he talked about that two-year span, and he basically uh, describes how he just went house to house for two years, just reasoning with the people, sharing about the Messiah, sharing the gospel, and, uh, and just going through. And so, so what he said is when he left there, he was free from their blood. He had such confidence in the thoroughness of his job while he was there. He said, basically, I'm not chargeable to any of them. They, they were well warned. Some got hardened and said, no way. But many believed. And uh, it's very interesting. In fact, this is the region, this is the area that Revelation 2 and 3, all those letters were written to churches in this region. Right? This region of Asia. Um. <clears throat> Many, uh, many Bible students believe that the, these churches got their start directly as a result of Paul's two-year missionary term here in the city of Ephesus, where he's at here, that they launched out from there. And, uh, but what, a, what an exciting step, what an exciting really first step in this area of fulfilling the Great Commission and going out there and preaching and reaching those people. In Luke 24, verse uh, 46, 47, And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We also see uh, not only that the word of God was boldly proclaimed, but when revival occurs, when the power of God is present. Understand something, real revival is heaven sent. See, we can muster it up, we can, you know, but it, it really is heaven sent. And um, revival is a funny thing. When you study revivals in history, and by, by the way, you need to be careful not to necessarily make doctrine out of things that happened in history, but we can sure recognize patterns, can't we? We can recognize certain things that were taking place, and, and many times it's on the back of uh, some kind of hardship, and, uh, and let me just say, there's prayer involved, there's repentance involved, there's a desire for God's people to just, uh, just get thoroughly honest and just open before God, saying, God, search me, O Lord. 
and know my, know my thoughts, try, uh, or my, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Boy, we get to that place where we're willing to pray a prayer like that. By the way, how many of you, I, I don't need to pray a prayer like that because I can come up with a list on my own right now of things that, that I just need to, I'm still working on, right? I'm still trying to deal with. But boy, what a bold place to be when you just say, God, uh, acknowledging what God already knows, and that is I am open and naked before you, God. Just shine the light. Expose it. Because I'm done. I need revival. I want to walk with you. I want, to, I, 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 I want my life to magnify my God. And we get to that place and uh, we say, God, I'm just so sick of it. I need your revival. Restore me the joy of thy salvation. But uh, the power of God has to come into play. God's power here was, very, uh, was made manifest. Look at verse number 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were uh, brought unto the sick ha- uh, handkerchiefs and the apron or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. During the ministry of Paul, God allowed special miracles to be performed by this... Uh, uh, a transitional generation of preachers. They called them the apostles, right? Uh, by the way, at this point, did we have uh, this portion of the Bible yet? Okay. Uh, we didn't have anything to point to, really. We had the Old Testament. But God was doing something new. This was a transitional time as God was bringing us to what we might call the church age, what we might call the age of grace. And, uh, and so what was happening was God was going from, from using a uh, uh, a nation, so to speak, his people Israel, and he's now putting them under a, a point of chastisement as they rejected the Messiah, they rejected the kingdom offer, and now he's saying, uh, I am now going to go through this, this new organization, if I can say it that way, and that is going to be the local church. And he's given to believers the stewardship of this truth. And he's passed this on. But in that transition and in those final warnings, as you see God's grace extending even beyond the crucifixion of Christ, as he's given this, uh, given this outreach and given this opportunity for the Jews, he was also preparing them for the judgment. When they heard tongues, you know what that meant to the Jew? Judgment. It was prophesied in the Old Testament and exemplified in the Old Testament. The very first time tongues shows up in the Bible, Tower of Babel. What was tongues at the Tower of Babel? Judgment, absolutely. He confounded the language. So that they would finally spread and uh, replenish the earth. Okay? Then you have prophets like, I believe it was Zechariah, talked about these nations and unknown tongues. And, and what, were they, what were they prophesying? They were prophesying uh, a, more judgment. So you come to the point of, of uh, the Babylonian captivity. What happened? People came in with unknown tongues, barking orders at them and capturing them and taking them captive. You know, in the military, when you, uh, you know, overseas and you're dealing with uh, the enemy, you don't know their language sometimes. So you start shouting orders and you're doing a lot of just motions, right? You got maybe your gun up and, you know, you know put your hands up, right? Uh, now go over to this corner and sit there. You know, you're trying to, trying to convey something, but you don't speak their language, Right? To be on the other end of that gun, that's got to be terrifying and say, I don't know, what do you want me to do? Don't shoot me, please. Right? Well, think about what, these, uh, what the, the Jews have gone through in the different captivities. When people would come in, they didn't know what they were saying. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew they were being rounded up and moved and, and all this kind of stuff going on. What were those tongues? The tongues were like, this is really bad what's happening. God is dealing with us. And here we are again, 
We've rejected Christ. Those Jewish leaders said of Jesus, his blood be upon us and our children. How would you like to be standing there and heard that spoken? Uh, that doesn't count for me, please. <laughs> Just in case he's the son of God. And then you start hearing, all of a sudden, these preachers, or believers in general, that trusted on, in Christ and started hearing these speaking in tongues. We've got to remember this. The prophecies come into mind, all this kind of stuff. What was happening? Well, after that final rejection, guess what? Temple's destroyed. AD 70, temple's destroyed. Jesus' prophecy of not one stone being unturned upon another is fulfilled. And now there is no more opportunity for sacrifice. And you know what? The Jews have not sacrificed since 70 AD. Isn't that interesting? Why is that important? The sacrifice has a lot to do with uh, their sins. There has been no propitiation. There's been no atonement. There's been no offering. You see, that's a serious thing. I would say this, that's the judgment. And I'm not going to get into real, real deep into all the tongues. We'll, maybe we'll study more thoroughly into that. But uh, the Bible does say this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse uh, 8 through 10. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, and these are the supernatural prophecies or predictions, it says they shall fail. And the word there, fail, it's actually the same Greek word as, uh, as it's going to say later in the verse, vanishing away. It's going to come to a place where it's not going to happen anymore. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. It's going to come to a complete stop. Whether there be knowledge, it's that supernatural knowledge, uh, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Meaning, Paul knows part of it and prophesies part of it, actually a lot of it. Peter knows part of it, prophesies part of it. James prophesied part of it, and... And, but when that which is perfect is come, you put it all together, that which is in part shall be done away. You know, we have no more need for supernatural signs. We have this. No more need. So when the Bible says they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a time when they're done, we've got to answer that question, when? Why is it there was no tongues for about 1,800 years? And then all of a sudden, tongues sprouted up again. The Bible doesn't talk about like a latter-day reformation or latter-day tongues revival or anything like that. And then you analyze it and say, does this follow the Bible? Does this follow 1 Corinthians and the rules that Paul gave? And by the way, 1 Corinthians is a book of correction. And he was correcting the church saying, you guys are misusing and abusing these gifts. So they weren't even doing it right. So to use them as a blueprint, we get ourselves in trouble. Anyways, I'm just saying all this to say that in this time period, this was a stamp, a mark uh, that this was God's man. Because we didn't have anything to check it with. So here's what they checked it with. Look at these signs that God gave him. He goes around, he's healing diseases. By the way, did you know later in Paul's life, he couldn't heal anymore? Twice he left people behind who were sick. And he said, pray for them. Well, Paul, why didn't you just heal them? Three times he prayed for his own healing. And God said no. Isn't that interesting? Well, if he has the gift. Even in Paul's life, I believe it had already come to a stop there at the end. You see? But, uh, but uh, this was for that time. I, I wanted to spend just a moment there because, again, we're looking at a historical event that took place, but we want to make sure that we're not dissecting it in a way of, of saying, this is what it's going to look like today. All right? 
So we'll know when revival came when all of you are going to bring your sick loved ones and I'm going to start praying over their handkerchief. No, this is not TBN. This is not how that works. Okay? Um, and by the way, I'm not going to become a multimillionaire off of this either. When people of the first century, they witnessed the power of God manifesting these people, they knew it was genuinely from God. And Mark 16, verse 19 and 20, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. How do you confirm the word? You confirm what they preached with signs following. How do we confirm the word today? With the word. Amen? Comparing spiritual with spiritual, scripture with scripture. That's how we do it today. All right? By the way, in, uh, in Mark there, it talks about, you know, if you drink poison, it's not going to harm you. If you get bit by a snake, right? Those things were all fulfilled in the apostles' era. Paul was built bit by a snake, remember? And they thought, he must be a murderer. He's going to die. And then it didn't even swell up. They're like, he must be a god. I love how we just go to extremes with our assumptions, right? By the way, be careful with assumptions. We can jump to conclusions so easy. You see how they did it. We see, we see this stuff happening. But, um, but that's what was going on there. Uh, and, and so it's a poor misuse of scripture and, and rightly dividing, rightly interpreting when you, when you start, you know, you come across these snake handling churches. Uh, remember that part about not tempting the Lord thy God? Um, so there was a, uh, I, I watched a video not that long ago of uh, uh, two Christians, two preachers debating two atheist professors about the existence of God. And one of the men, you can just tell, he just was hardened toward the Lord. He would get so just angry in his, every time he had his turn. But he had with him um, concentrate um, 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 coolant. And he poured it in a cup. And he read on the label, you know, poisonous if consumed, and he challenged, is there anyone here willing to claim Mark 16 and drink this? And that was his proof that there is no God, because no one had enough faith to, to do that. Well, leave it to a lost man to wrongly interpret scripture, to wrongly divide the word of God, okay? And uh, uh, of course, he wouldn't have any explanation, he wouldn't have any of it, but uh, what I'm saying is, you know, some, some translations have just taken out that portion because they don't know what to do with it. It's pretty simple. This was the signs of the apostles. This was given to them. Okay? And, uh, and today, we live by faith, by the word of God. That's how we, how we live and how we go forward. So what's interesting here is in this passage, uh, uh, by the way, the main emphasis was not, watch this cool trick that I can do with Paul. That was never the main emphasis. In fact, they always pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and showed where the power actually came from, right? Remember in Peter and John, they, there was the lame man, and he was asking alms for the poor, alms for the poor, and they said, silver and gold will be none, but what we have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. What, and then uh, the people came around, wow, you must have some kind of, and he said, no, no, we're just men like you guys, right? They wanted to worship them. We're men like you guys. But what we are is we're preachers of Jesus of Nazareth. We are preachers of this message. You see, they pointed to that, to what's the source of their healing. So in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 through 7, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who 
commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, treasure, treasure excuse me, in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. That's a powerful verse. And that's a powerful point that Paul was making, saying it's, it's of God, not of us. You see, the Holy Spirit of God, when he's doing something, he points people to Jesus. That's what John, John's gospel, when Jesus laid it out, the, Holy, the comforter, I have to go away so the comforter can come. And he will not speak of himself. But the things which I, you know, he, he's going he's to point people, he's going to show Christ. He's, the, he's the, the, the humblest, if I can use that term, of the Godhead. He's the background. He's the one that gives glory to the Son. Glory to the Father. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. He doesn't bring attention to himself. So we start emphasizing all these things, you know, uh, do we like to, do we manifest the Spirit gifts around here? Yeah, we do. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. It's the Spirit of God that's guiding me through truth. It's the Spirit of God that's giving me boldness to preach. But you know what? He's not going to make me do all these crazy things. Show me a trick, preacher. Heal my loved one, right? And so you look at, you look at these, these signs movements today, and you know what they do uh, many, many times? They, they, they put that person up on a pedestal. You've got guys like Kenneth Copeland who boasts a billion dollars net worth. Private jets, all this stuff. Well, it's to do the work of God. I can't be, on, I can't be riding coach with all these demons. That's what he said, by the way. You know, you and I who would ride coach. And, uh, and so, so, you know, but, but, but I've seen on these shows and the way they just like, you know, they're, they're just short of doing this to him. And I'm like, that's not what I see in Paul. That's not what I see in these guys. What I see is uh, the excellency is of God, not of men. This power is of God, not of men. And, uh, and so all I'm saying is it, it, everything's just backwards when we start trying to do this stuff today. So what, what interesting that happens is this. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and put his staff down and turned to a snake and his magicians came and did the same thing? What was the point of that? Why do you think the magicians did that? Prove that, right? Or even, even, I think, beyond that, to undermine Moses' power. Well, we can do that too. It doesn't mean it's from God. So there were some sorcerers, if you would, or some that practiced things, and, and they're like, that's a cool trick. Let's do it too. So look at verse number 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits. So they, they, they thought the missing ingredient was these magic words, in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Did, have they ever preached Jesus? These were Jews, and a specific group of the Jews, these guys were exorcists. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, in the, especially in the Gospels, there were some demon possessions going on. Jews had to have an answer. And so they would do prayers, they would try different things, but usually to no avail. And it was amazing when Jesus came along, how the spirits just listened. The spirits would just flee. So they're like, what we're doing isn't working, why don't we try what, P, what Paul's doing? And, and so Paul... He used the name Jesus. That seemed powerful. And so he says, uh, 
says, uh, uh, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Here's the response. There were seven sons of, uh, of Sceva, the Jews, uh, a Jew, excuse me, chief of the priests, which did so. So these guys, had, you know, they, they, were, they were part of the priesthood, if you would. Verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Right? Talk about bringing a, you know, a knife to a gunfight, okay? He thinks he's going in there with the boldness of Jesus Christ, but he didn't have Jesus Christ. And so the demon responds, uh, now who are you again? Trying to talk boldly to us? Now he used a powerful name, the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about Paul. Paul, had, Paul became known among the evil spirit world, okay? But this guy, you know, what was happening? They tried to mimic this work. They tried to mimic, you know, there's a lot of that going on today, trying to mimic, trying to make something happen, make some kind of, you know, oh, isn't God moving? You know, we can do a lot of tricks to make it seem like the presence of God is there. We can do the lights just right. We can set the mood with the music. We can do a lot of things, right? We can even mimic some of these signs gifts. There was a guy out there actually did a um, uh, um, kind of an undercover type thing, and he, and he said, you know what, I can produce a faith healer. And he, got, he, he had a, kind of an audition, picked a couple guys who are actors, and he was going to train them how to be faith healers. And, uh, and he was basically going to put on this, his, this crusade and do a couple miracles, and then he was going to expose himself to the people and say, uh, say guys, this is all a fraud. I'm not, you know, this guy wasn't even a Christian, okay? And, um, but it was really interesting, and what he exposed was the three most common uh, tricks that faith healers use. You know, a faith healer has never prayed a full limb to come back. Right? So many people will have, like, maybe one leg a little longer than the other, so they'll say, we're going to do this, and, and they'll, they'll literally loosen a shoe. Oh, look at his, his leg's growing. And, and, and these poor people, they want to believe so bad. Or you'll pick a guy that maybe has a hearing issue. And, uh, and, and maybe they find out that one ear is more sensitive than the other. And so he'll kind of, he'll kind of uh, whisper something in his deaf ear, doesn't hear anything, whisper something in his good ear. And, and, uh, and then he starts like, you know, doing some hocus pocus. And, uh, and, and, and all I'm saying, you know, these are just a couple of the little ones that he was doing. But, uh, but it was kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing saying, I can produce a faith healer. People just want to believe. And it's so sad. You see these guys. You see the Benny Hens. And you see these people coming. They're, they've not got any answers anywhere they've gone. And they're, they're seekers. They're wanting truth. And, and it's so sad because they're, they're pointing to all this, all this stuff instead of pointing to the Word of God. Getting back to what, is, what does the Lord want and what, is, what does the Bible teach and, and, and getting back to this. But there have always been those that tried to mimic. There have always been those that have tried to, to, do, <laughs> to do this stuff. But I want to get back to a genuine heaven-sent revival. Well, how do we do that? Listen, we're not going to manipulate emotions. It's not about all this stuff. It's about let's get a real heart desire, every one of us, before God. Lord, do something in me. Do something in my children. Do something in my neighbors. And, and, and we, you know, we look to the left, look to the right, and we, we start seeing this genuine desire of all of us. God, we... We're seeking you, and we want you. We want, you know, so what's going to start happening? By the way, what, what do you think starts to happen when God has your heart? 
We're going to start healing people. No, when God starts having, when God has your heart, you want to please Him. It's going to start manifesting outwardly in obedience, in a, in a, a labor of love because we love Him. And then we display our love for him in serving others. And, and, and you know, you start seeing New Testament Christi Christianity played out simply because we are immersing ourselves in the word of God. We are in prayer. And we're saying, God, my life is actually yours. You know, we sing songs like, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we don't really say that. We say, take this part of my life. I surrender most of it. But then I'm holding back this part, you see. And, uh, and, but God wants us. I, I, I love the passage in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about these poor Christians in Macedonia. And they gave just, uh, uh, they, they gave so abundantly to the needs of the poor Christians in Jerusalem. But here's what it says about them, that they gave beyond their own ability, because here's what it says. They first gave their own selves. What an amazing statement. They gave of their own selves. When God has you, when God has your heart, it's nothing for God to have your money. It's nothing for God to have all these things. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, that, that's really what it is. But by the way, even today, as we talk about these guys that mimic or, or, or uh, try to copy, even today, false religions include the name Jesus in their doctrinal statements. I mean, fa I mean false religions. I mean, like, not the gospel. And uh, we need to be so careful about that, that the name of Jesus by itself, in and of itself, uh, doesn't necessarily equate... Bible Christianity doesn't necessarily even equate salvation. Uh, James 2.19, but thou believest there is one God that doeth well, the devils also believe in trouble. I believe in God. I'm good. Has there been a time when you've called on him for salvation? Called on the name of the Lord. You see, these, uh, apart from that, it's like these guys. Well, you know, uh, Jesus, whom he preaches, you know, what, what, what good is that if you've not made Jesus your own? You see, that's the issue. Zechariah 4, 6, Then he answered and said unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord uh, unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, by the Spirit of God. Um, <clears throat> Jesus, of course, over and over again, was pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They had this external, they had all that kind of stuff, but their hearts, what were they? They were just far from God. It's a heart issue. So the last thing I want to point out quickly is uh, revival occurs when the word of God prevails. Verse number uh, 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, so uh, also dwelling in Ephesus. And, the, and fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before the men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Isn't that interesting? Witchcraft and occult was dealt with. These guys had these books. By the way, this stuff's not, not new, right? Even all the way back then, you had people that practiced a lot of these things. They brought their books. They had a book burning. <laughs> now, it really wasn't about burning the books. Was, it was about, we're just going to destroy the wickedness. We're just going to get it out of us. And, uh, and you, know, uh, you know, the Bible talks about, have no, Ephesians 5, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Hey, what greater reproof than to throw something on the fire? 
hey, we're done. This is out of our life. We're not doing this anymore. This was an old, old-fashioned camp meeting where they, they burned the things that were a stumbling block to them. We're not doing this anymore. You see? Acts 19, verse 20, I love that. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And by the way, I think there are times in our lives when we surrender things. We maybe even make a physical statement. Thrown it into a fire, for example. Where we just say, I'm done with this. There's, there's, there's something about a definitive line I drew. No longer going that way anymore. Uh, that, that it's just amazing that there's a, there's a touch of revival that starts to happen because we simply have said, God, I want to follow you more than I want to follow that vice. I want you more than I want this stumbling block, this besetting sin, whatever it is. And we're saying, I'm done messing around. Isaiah 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I ple- uh, please, and it shall prosper in the, way, in the thing Whereto I sent it. This is, of course, God and his word saying, I'm sending it forth, and it's not coming back void. Not, accom- not before it accomplishes what I wanted it to accomplish. So powerful, the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening two edged and sword, piercing and dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Powerful word of God. The, the influence of the Word of God was growing. This is what we see here. It, 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 it took a whole region. It was growing in the lives of the specific individuals who, whose lives had been changed. By the way, there's something about the testimony of the individual who had an encounter with the Word of God, who the Word of God has, has uh, taken root in their lives. There's something about those two things working together that spreads to somebody else. You see, you can give someone the Word of God, and by the way, it by itself is powerful, but you add to that a testimony, the testimony of the Lord, to the testimony of the Lord, <laughs> it's powerful. And so what happened? The Word of God prevailed. Even though there were those that doubted, those that were hardened against it, those that tried to mimic it, the Word of God prevailed. And so what happened? The Savior is magnified. It says, this was known to the Jews in the, verse 17, the last phrase, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What an amazing, amazing thing. See, you cannot find a sermon in the New Testament that does not center on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The apostles were not interested in building their own reputations. They desired to magnify the name of Jesus, and they, they ensured that the miracles and great works they had performed brought honor and glory to the Lord, not to themselves. That was the great desire of every one of them. And then the results were people were saved. We see all throughout, I, uh, in John 12, 30, uh, 32, he says, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Revival begins when, uh, when, 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 um, when we, as people, really just get back to biblical Christianity. And an outpouring and a result of that starts to be fulfilling what God has for us. Sharing that message, changing, uh, changing our lives, doing something in us, but then, then those we are, have influence with and have contact with, and we see over and over again in the Bible, when, when the message is shared, when the vessel is willing uh, of people, souls just getting saved left and right. I think about Jesus and the woman of Samaria. She goes back and she goes to her village and, and uh, tells them all what happened, and many then believed. Um, in, in, um, that's John 4.39 uh, people were saved during the revival in Acts 4, uh, verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and a number of the men was about 5,000. 5,000 people believed in Acts 4. Uh, Acts 8, 
uh, 5 and 6, Then people went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. And, and, and they believed there in Acts 9.42, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Uh, Acts 17, Therefore many of them believed, also honorable women, which were Greeks and men, uh, and of men, not a few. All these people, what was happening? Revival. But again, the revival was actually not in those being saved. It was in those being sent. It was in those handling the word of God. You stay in that state of revival, this is just what happens. People believe. People have trusted. People listen to the message. And then their lives were transformed. Verse 19, many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all the men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of sin. The things that need to be in their life. Just threw it away. I think I shared with you when I got rid of a bunch of my ungodly music. And I counted the price. About $3,000 worth of CDs. That was back when you had CDs. And they were about $15 for a piece of plastic. The most expensive piece of plastic you'll ever buy. <laughs> And, uh, and I remember uh, I counted it as I threw them all away. Wow, what could I have done with $3,000, right? Um, but it transformed them, and we're, we're out of time. But, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 5.8, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. One evangelist once said this, he, asked the secret, he was asked the secret of revival, and he said this, go home, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and then pray, oh Lord, revive everything inside this circle. You see, it starts with us in our own hearts, and so, you know, counting the cost. You know, do, I, do I desire revival? Do I desire pleasing and following God, or am I caught up in devices? Am I caught up in a mimic Christianity? Because, by the way, we can all mimic. We can all play the game like those other guys. But when it comes down to serious spiritual warfare, hey, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are you? You see? And uh, so, so a desire for me, I tell you what, that I'd be revived and that I would impact others for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we